our Bibles this morning to Acts in chapter 1. <clears throat> Acts chapter 1 and let's just read from verse 23 <clears throat> as we begin. Acts chapter 1 and verse 23. It says, And they appointed two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knoweth the hearts of all men, show with whether of these two thou hast chosen, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go, go to his own place. And they gave forth lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was, a, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Well, let's just open with a word of prayer. <clears throat> Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you once again, Lord, for the opportunity to come around your word. And Lord, I pray that this morning as we continue our study of the book of Acts, Lord, you would just our hearts through your word, you would teach us this morning, instruct us through your word. Lord, I pray that you would empower me through your Holy Spirit and give me wisdom and guidance as I speak. That Lord, indeed, everything this morning would be your words and be your thoughts. Lord, you would uh, just speak to our hearts this morning. Meet us where we're at. Uh, challenge us through your word. And may you be honored and glorified, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke now goes on in chapter 1 to um, discuss for us or to record for us this event where Matthias is chosen to replace Judas as one of the twelve. And he goes to you know, great de- a great deal of detail here describing this event. I mean, really from verse 12 right through to verse 26 is all concerning this event where they choose this man to replace Judas. You know, he describes for us how they're gathered together in the upper room. He describes um, those who are in attendance. In verse, 20, uh, verse 15, sorry, he says that there is a 120 all love, he says in verse 15, And in those days Peter stood in the midst of the disciples and said the number of the names together were 120. And so he tells us there's 120 gathered together. So there's not a small little meeting, there's a fair gathering of people, of brethren here. And the point is that this event is in the Word of God for a reason. You know, it's, it's there in God's Word for a reason. It's, it takes up this portion of the chapter for a reason. It's there for importance. It's there because, you know, you have Matthias chosen, so it's a piece of history for us. But also there is lessons in this passage for us as believers today. You know, some have questioned the actions of the apostles here in choosing Matthias to replace Judas. You know, they've said that, they, that the apostles here acted wrongly, that the apostles jumped the gun. They should have waited until after the Holy Spirit came before they sought to choose someone to replace Judas. Others have said that Matthias was the disciples' choice, that he wasn't God's choice. And they point to the Apostle Paul and they say, Paul is the Lord's choice to replace Judas, not this man Matthias. You know, their main argument for saying that is that after chapter 1 here, Matthias is not mentioned again in the whole of the book of Acts. He's alluded to in chapter 2 where it says that Peter stood up before the eleven. So he's alluded to as being there, but he's not mentioned again in the whole of the book of Acts. And so they say, well, see, he wasn't God's man. We don't read anything that he does for God. You know, as you look through the rest of the book of Acts, 
except for Peter and John, none of the other disciples are mentioned either by name. So we can't use that as an argument to say that Matthias was not God's choice. I believe it becomes clear as we study this passage that Matthias is indeed the Lord's choice. Matthias is the Lord's choice. And as we look at these verses this morning, we see that there are a series of steps that led the disciples to determine his will. And I want us to consider these steps this morning and also see how in determining God's will for our own life, these same steps apply. Notice first, if you would, the disciples here were in obedience. The disciples were in obedience. Look in verse 12. It says, Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem about, sorry, a Sabbath day's journey. First thing that we notice here is that, you know, Luke describes for us that the disciples are in obedience to the Lord. You see, in verse 12, it tells us that after seeing the Lord return to glory, which is where we left off in our last message, in verse 11, they see the Lord ascend into heaven and they stand gazing up into heaven. And there's the two angels who say, why are you gazing into heaven? This same Jesus shall, shall come again. And following that event, verse 12 tells us that they return to Jerusalem. Why do they do this? Well, they do this because this is what Christ had commanded them to do. This is what Christ had told them to do. Go back to verse 4 of chapter 1. It says, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the, of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. And so Christ handed them that they were to return to Jerusalem and they were to wait at Jerusalem until the promise of the Father, until the Holy Spirit came. So the point is that verse 12 here tells us that the disciples here, they're acting in direct obedience to God. That's what they're doing here. They're obeying the word of God. They're obeying the command of the Lord. You see, they didn't just watch the Lord return to glory and then forget his words and go and do their own thing. They didn't just watch him return and then go, well, he's gone, let's just do our own thing now. No, they obeyed his command. He said, go to Jerusalem. That's what they did. They obeyed the Lord. They make the short, short journey back from the Mount of Olives back to Jerusalem. You know, this may seem like an insignificant little point. You know, we can just skip over this verse. You know, that couldn't be further from the truth. You see, when it comes to determining God's will, it must always start with us walking in obedience. Before anything else, we must first be walking in obedience to the commands of God in His Word. You see, God has revealed His general will to us in His Word. If we're not obeying His general will, He's not going to show us anything else. So obedience is the starting point. You know, the disciples, they knew what God's immediate will was, didn't they? They knew what his general will was, go to Jerusalem and wait. And they're obeying that immediate general will of God. And you know, their obedience put them in the right place and in the right relationship with the Lord to then be able to seek the Lord's will. If they had ignored God and gone back to their own places, they wouldn't have been in the right relationship to seek God's will, would they? They wouldn't have been in the right place. You see, they obeyed, and because they obeyed, they're in the right place, in the right relationship with the Lord. 
You know, the same is true for all of us when it comes to determining God's will for our lives. As I said, God has revealed to us His general will for all of us. He's given us commands. He's given us instructions. And they apply to all of us as believers, don't they? Now, John 14 verse 15 says, If you love me, keep my commandments. That's plain and simple, isn't it? A plain and simple instruction for all of us as believers. If we love him, keep his commandments. And that's God's general will for all of us, that we obey the commands of his word, that we seek to walk in holiness through the power of the spirits, a sanctified Christian life. Now, if we want God to reveal his specific will for our lives, then it begins with obeying his general will. It begins with obedience to his word. can't hope to determine God's will if we won't even obey the commands that he has revealed clearly from his word. Secondly, not only were they in obedience, but secondly, they were in fellowship. They were in fellowship. Look in verse 13. It says, And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room, where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon Zelotes, and Judas the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brethren. The second notable thing that we see here in this passage is that the disciples are in fellowship with God's people. They're in fellowship with all his people. Now verse 13 tells us that all the disciples are present. They're all present together in the upper room here. But they're not alone. They're there, it says in verse 14, with the women and with the mother of Jesus and with his brethren. And so they gather together with this whole host of people. As we saw before in verse 15, there's 120 all up in present, present in this meeting in the upper room. You know, these are all gathered together, it says in verse 14, with one accord. Verse 14, these all continued with one accord. They're all gathered together in one accord. There's, there's unity amongst this body of believers. They're all in sweet fellowship with one another, with God's people. There's no bickering here. There's no fighting. There's no factions. There's no discord. There's no problems between one another. They're there collectively of one accord. There's unity amongst this body of believers. You know, and this may seem like an insignificant point. You know, their desire to be with God's people, their desire to be in fellowship and to be in unity with God's people shows that their hearts are right before the Lord. You see, this really is the outworking of their obedience, isn't it? They're in obedience to the Lord and part of their obedience is being with God's people and having a right relationship with God's people in a right relationship, having sweet fellowship with fellow believers. Now, even today, fellowship with God's people is important when it comes to determining His will. Now, one of the things that God has commanded us to do in His Word is to not forsake the assembly of ourselves together. It says that in Hebrews 10, verse 25. That's a command, isn't it? So we go back to point one, obedience. Well, obedience to God is being in fellowship with God's people, being faithful in church, faithful in attendance, that we spend time with the people of God. God desires that we fellowship with his people and he also desires that we have a right relationship with one another, that there be unity 
amongst the body of believers. Now in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 through to 19, it lists for us seven things that the Lord hates. You know what the last one there is? The last one is someone who sows discord among the brethren. The Lord hates it. The Lord can't work with someone who is causing problems in the fellowship of God's people, causing discord. See, the point is that if you and I want to know God's will, then we need to be regular in fellowship with God's people and we need to be fellowshipping in the right way. So we're not causing discord, we're not causing problems, then we have sweet fellowship with one another. So the point is, obedience is our heart right with God and the fellowship is our heart right with one another. And both must be true if you and I are going to seek God's will. If we're not walking in a right relationship with one another, then we're not obeying God. And so we can't hope to know God's will. Obedience and fellowship with God's people. Thirdly, we see that the disciples, they were in the word of God. They were in the word. Look at verse 15. It says, And in those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, The number of the names together were about 120. Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity. And falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, insomuch as that field is called in their proper tongue, a keldama, that is to say, the field of blood. Written in the book of the Psalms, let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. Now thirdly, now we see that they were in the word of God. They were looking to the word of God for guidance and for direction. As I said, their obedience showed that their hearts were right before God. They're obeying God's immediate will for them. Their fellowship with one another showed that they were in a right relationship with God's people. Now, thirdly, they seek the will of God from where? God's word. They seek to know God's word and to determine God's will. You know, Peter here is the one who stands up and he takes lead. Peter stands up before the brethren and what does Peter do? He directs their attention to the word of God. He directs their attention in particular to the Psalms, to David's words. And he points out to them that David had prophesied of Judas. David had prophesied that this one would betray the Lord. Just turn over to Psalm 41. Psalm 41 and verse 9 says, Yea, mine own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. It seems that he's referring to Psalm 41, and there's other passages in the Psalms we go to as well. But David had spoken about Judas who would betray the Lord. And Peter stands up and he says that Judas's actions were the fulfillment of Scripture. He says that in verse 16. He says, men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost uh, by the mouth of David spake concerning Judas. He says, this is what 
was Messiah. This is what God had said would happen. And Judas' actions were the fulfillment of God's word. Judas' actions were the fulfillment of Scripture. He then goes on in verses 17 through to 19 to recount for us what happens to Judas after his betrayal. And when you add this account to what we know from Matthew 27, verse 5, which says that, that Judas went out and hung himself, when you add these two together, it seems to indicate that as Judas tried to hang himself, the cord breaks and he falls headlong to the ground and dies. Because it says in verse 18, it says, Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the mist, and all his bowels gushed out. So you put the two together, and that seems to be what took place. He tried to hang himself, he failed, he fell, and he died on the ground. It's following this description of what happens to Judas that we then read verse 20. It says 20, For it is written in the book of, the, of Psalms, Let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. It's following this. After Peter has pointed out that Judas's actions were prophesied of. So Christ knew Judas was going to betray him. That's what he's pointing out. That's what he's saying. Okay? He points out that fact. He points out what Judas has done, that Judas is now dead. He has killed himself. And now in verse 20, he points them again to the Psalms for direction as to what they should do. God says in the Psalms that we should choose someone to replace him. Now verse 20 here is a combination of two Psalms. Psalm 69, verse 25, and Psalm 109, verse 8. He takes the two and puts them together. And the point is that the disciples here, where did they go for guidance? Where did they go for direction in this matter? They went to the Word of God. And they found in the Psalms this principle. Let his habitation be desolate, let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric, his ministry, his office, let another take. They found this principle that someone should take Judas's position, Judas's os. You see, the word of God was what led them to believe they should seek a replacement. The point is, this wasn't their decision. Okay, the, the disciples here didn't come up with this idea. They didn't come up with this themselves. As they were studying the word, as they were in the word, God revealed to them that this is what He wanted them to do. That this is what they should do in regards to Judas. You know, even today in seeking the will of God, God's word is paramount, isn't it? God's word is paramount. We must go to the word of God to seek direction. This ought to be like the disciples, the place we turn to. That we're in fellowship, sorry, we're in obedience, we're in fellowship, and then we turn to the word of God for direction. We spend time in God's word asking him to show us his will for our lives. See, the disciples here, they didn't act on impulse. The disciples here didn't act upon their feelings. The disciples didn't act according to their desires. Where did they go? They went to the Word of God and they acted upon what? God's Word. That's where they were acting upon. You see, they weren't doing this because this is what they wanted or this is what they felt like. They were doing this because this is what God told them to do. Because God had instructed them to do this. They looked to the word of God for direction and the Lord gave them direction through it. You know, we may not always, when seeking the Lord's will, find a particular verse that tells us what to do. You know, and that's the thing that 
somebody will say, oh, you need a verse. Well, we may not always have a particular verse that gives you direction. But you know, the principles of God's word together will give you direction. That's the point. As you read and study God's word, God's word will give you direction. The principles of God's word will give you instruction. Sometimes you may get a verse which stands out and that gives you the answer. Other times it may be a whole host of verses put together that have worked on your heart and led you in the right direction. You see, God's word is where you and I need to go to for guidance when making the decision, when seeking his will. Fourthly, we see that now they exercise spiritual discernment. They exercise spiritual discernment. Look in verse 21. It says, Wherefore of these men which have accompanied with us all the time that Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to the same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be witness with us of his resurrection? And they pointed to Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. Now we've seen that they were in obedience. They were obeying God's immediate will for them. They were at Jerusalem. They were gathered together. They were in fellowship with God's people, a right relationship with others. And they were in the word. And now, fourthly, we see that they exercised some spiritual discernment. Or if you like, they used some sanctified common sense. You see, they knew that God's word instructed them to replace Judas. That was clear from God's word. Someone should take Judas's office. But you know, they don't just run out and appoint the first person they come to. Peter doesn't put up his hand and say, well, I really like this guy. He's my friend. Let's put, let's put him in the job. They don't just run out and choose someone. They don't start now acting on impulse, do they? No, the disciples here, knowing what God's word said, they now use some spiritual discernment and they, you know, if you like, they narrow the pool. They put in place some criteria for who should replace Judas. And that's what we find here in verses 21 to 23. You see, what they do is they sit there and they go, okay, God wants us to appoint someone. Well, who would God be looking for? And they exercise some spiritual discernment and they narrow the field. They say, well, God would be looking for someone who would meet these criteria. What's the criteria they're looking for? Well, verse 21, it says, Wherefore of these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. So they're looking for someone who was with them. Right from the time that Christ was baptized, it says in verse 22, beginning from the baptism of John, under the same day that he was taken up from us. They're looking for someone who was with them the whole time Christ was on earth. Someone who was there at the beginning. Someone who was there at the end when he was taken up. And someone, it says at the end of verse 22, who can be witness with them of the resurrection. And so they put in place this criteria. This man has to be someone who is with them, the whole Christ on earth, ministered with Christ, saw his ministry on earth, and someone who saw Christ after his resurrection. Now, where did they get these qualifications from? Well, they exercised some spiritual discernment. And why could they do that? Because they were in obedience, because they were in fellowship, and they were in God's word. That's why they had spiritual discernment. You see, if they hadn't been in obedience, if they weren't in fellowship, if they weren't in God's word, they would have had no spiritual discernment at all. You see, the only reason they could exercise spiritual discernment is because of the previous three. Because they were right before God. 
And so now they exercise spiritual discernment and they know, according to God's word, they know the kind of man God's looking for. They know who God would be looking for and so they appoint, sorry, they narrow the field using this criteria. And as I said, they could do this because of the previous three. You know, their criteria here doesn't answer everything. It doesn't narrow it down and give them the answer. It just narrows it down to two. They're left with two men. This um, Joseph or, sorry, Joseph called Barsabbas and Matthias. They narrow it down to two. You know, we, like the disciples, need to exercise the spiritual discernment, don't we? When it comes to the will of the Lord. Now, if we are in obedience to God, obeying his general will, if we are in fellowship with God's people in a right relationship with others, if we're in God's word, then you and I can then exercise some spiritual discernment to narrow the field. You know, for instance, you've got five things before you. Which one's your will, Lord? Well, immediately you know these three aren't. You can immediately get three, rid of three. Why? Because you can exercise some spiritual discernment knowing what God's word says, knowing what obedience to God means, knowing what fellowshipping with God's people means. You can exercise some spiritual discernment and narrow the field. Like the disciples, this won't necessarily give us the answer, but it will immediately eliminate the wrong answer. When we are walking in obedience to God, when we are in fellowship, when we're in God's word, the things that are not God's word will be so plain, it will be plain as day. It'll be obvious to you and I that that is not God's will. Why? Because it doesn't match obedience, it doesn't match fellowship with God's people, it doesn't match God's word, and so it's clear that's not God's will. It's obvious. Straight away, it's clear. Now, we said it before, but you know, something cannot be God's will if it disobeys God. Obedience. If it causes you to disobey God, then it's not God's will. doesn't matter how you spin it, it's not God's will. If it takes you away from fellowshipping with God's people, if there's no church there, it's not God's will. Sorry, you can spin it however you like. It's not God's will. And, and it's unfortunate as Christians, we sort of like to put spins on things, don't we? Well, we're not exercising spiritual sermon because we have no spiritual sermon. Why? Because I can guarantee we're not in obedience, we're not in fellowship, right relationship with others, and we're not in God's word like we should be. Why do I know we're not exercising spiritual sermon? Because we're blatantly disobeying everything else God says, choosing something that is obviously not God's will. Unfortunately, many of us as Christians today, that's what we're doing. We're acting on impulse. We're not acting according to God's will. We're not following him at all. If something causes us to disobey him or forsake the assembly of ourselves together, it's not God's will. It can't be, no matter how we put a spin upon it. But we can exercise spiritual discernment when those first three are right. The fourth thing, fifth thing, sorry, we see here is they now seek the Lord in prayer. They seek the Lord in prayer. Look in verse 24. It says, And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, Show whether of these two thou hast chosen, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. Now having used some spiritual discernment now and narrowed the field to two men, the disciples, their next course is to seek the Lord in prayer. They pray about these two men. 
Now, it must be said that this doesn't mean they haven't been praying before this. They had been. Look back in verse 14. It says, these all continue with one accord in prayer. And so they'd be in prayer the whole way through. But this is a very pointed and direct prayer. It's a very pointed and direct prayer concerning God's will in this situation, concerning the man that God would choose. You know, in verse 24, they come before the Lord and they ask God to do what? To search the hearts of these two men. Read verse 24. It says, And they prayed and said, Our Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen. They say, Lord, you look at their hearts, you know what's inside, and you tell us whether you've chosen one of these two. You tell us whether either of these men are your choice. You see, the disciples understood that they could only look at the outward appearance. They could only look at what these men had done, their works. They couldn't see their hearts. They couldn't see what was going on inside. And they needed the guidance of the Lord. Now, I find it interesting that even at that point, the disciples still do not start to act on impulse. You notice that? They're still not acting on impulse. Even after being obedient in fellowship, in God's word, exercising spiritual discernment and narrowing it down to two, they're still not acting on impulse. They're still not going, well, I like this guy, let's go with him. They're still no acting upon their own feelings. They're not choosing based on who they like best. It's not a popularity contest here. No, the disciples take it to the Lord in prayer. Why? Because they understood it's not their decision. Whose is it? It's God's. And so they take it to the Lord in prayer. They want the Lord to choose. It's what God wants, not what they want. The Lord's decision, not theirs. Now, the same is true today. Prayer must play a major role when we are considering God's will. When seeking the Lord's will, prayer must play a major part. We must pray and be willing to let him make the decision. That's the key, isn't it? Pray and let him make the decision. Be open and say, Lord, whatever your will is, I will do it. Let him make the decision. You know, even if we follow the steps to this point, we're in obedience, in fellowship. We've been in God's word. We've exercised some spiritual sermon and narrowed the field. We still need to pray. We need to pray and ask the Lord direction. You see, we still don't get to make the decision based on feeling. We go to the Lord in prayer. You know, James tells us that if we lack wisdom, where do we go? We go to the Lord. James verse one, chapter 1, verse 5. Let's just read it. I know we know the verse well, but James chapter 1 and verse 5. It says, If any lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. Beloved, we all lack wisdom when it comes to making the right decision. We lack wisdom. But God has promised that if you and I will pray, he will give us wisdom. He will give us direction. He will give us understanding as to what his will is. We simply need to pray. And sixthly now and lastly, we see that they rely upon the Lord. They rely upon the Lord. Look in verse 26. It says, And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Now, having been through all these steps, you know, obedience, fellowship, God's word, spiritual discernment, the disciples now cast lots. 
to decide God's will. You know, some have questioned the disciples' decision here to cast lots. You know, they've gone through all these steps and now they roll the dice. You know, you and I must understand and remember that they were Jews. And that this is what Old Testament Jews did to determine God's will. They would cast lots. They would use Urim and Thurim to determine the will of the Lord. And so we must understand that. This was a method used by the Jews to determine God's will. Just turn over to Proverbs 16. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 33. Proverbs 16 and verse 33. It says, The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. The word disposing is talking about decision. The whole decision is of the Lord. They understood when they were cast in the lot that they were putting their faith in God that God would make the decision. And that's the reality here. When the disciples here cast the lot, what they are doing is laying it before the Lord and saying, Lord, the decision is yours. Make the decision, Lord. They're exercising faith here. If you want to criticize them, what they're doing is exercising great faith. They're laying it before God and saying, Lord, you decide. You make the decision. See, even still at this very last point, the disciples still are not acting according to what? Impulse or their own desires, their own feelings. They're still asking God to make the decision. It's not what they desire. It's not what they think in their hearts. It's what God says. See, they're asking the Lord to make the decision. And the lot here falls upon Matthias. And Matthias is then numbered with the twelve as one of the apostles. They take the Lord's decision as final, don't they? They accept the Lord's decision and they obey appointing Matthias as one of the twelve. Now, as I thought about this week, you know, the casting of lots here, it may be an imperfect method of discerning God's will, but, you know, it's much better than the methods that we as Christians today use. It's much better than you and I relying upon emotion. It's much better than relying upon circumstance. It's much better than acting upon feeling. It's much better than acting according to desire. You know, we could go on. But they're the ways that we often as Christians make our decisions. And so we criticize the, the disciples for casting lots when what they're doing is casting it before the Lord and saying, Lord, you decide. And then we think we're okay because we've decided in our own lives, acting upon feeling, emotion, and desire. And in effect, what we do is we make the decision instead of the Lord. You know, too much of our decision-making today as believers is based on what we want and not what God wants. And, you know, unfortunately, we even use God's word to justify our actions. In Psalm 37 and verse 4, it says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desire of thine heart. A great, glorious verse. Now, a verse that agrees with everything we've talked about this morning. You see, the first five steps are all about delighting thyself in the Lord. The last step is about the fact that it says, and he shall give the desires of the heart. Well, thy desires will match God's desires. He will then lead. He will guide. He will make the decision. That's what the verse is talking about. But unfortunately, what we do is we take this verse and we say, well, I love the Lord. I believe I'm walking with the Lord. And so he's going to give me my desires. That's how we interpret the verse. In other words, I can do whatever I want. Why? Because I love God. I can do as I please because I love God. 
Beloved, there is a major flaw in this idea. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. No, sorry, deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's a major flaw, isn't it? Following our desires, following our heart, our hearts are wicked. Our hearts are deceitful. Our hearts are sinful. Even if we think we are walking in a right relationship with the Lord, we still can't act on impulse. We still can't act according to our own desires. We still need to lay it before the Lord and let Him choose. Let Him lead. Let Him make the decision. You know, as you look through the Word of God, any time a godly man made a decision on impulse or according to their own desires, it ended in sin, ended in destruction and problems. Joshua is a great case in point. Joshua, we'd all agree, is a godly man, a great leader. But Joshua, when it came to the battle of Ai, what did he do? He acted on impulse. He acted according to his desires, what he thought was right. And what happened? They were defeated, weren't they? Because he didn't know about sin in the camp. What did Joshua fail to do? He failed to do the step of pray. He failed to get before the Lord and say, Lord, what do you want to do? He thought he was right with God. He thought everything was sweet. And so he made a decision. He thought his heart was right. His heart led him into sin. He did it again with the Gibeonites. The Gibeonites came claiming we're from a faraway land. Make a treaty with us. Joshua again did not seek the Lord in prayer. What did he do? He acted according to impulse, according to his own desires. Where did it end? In sin. He failed God. He made a treaty with a nation he should never have made a treaty with. And Israel had to live with that decision because he didn't seek the Lord in prayer. And all of us would hold Joshua up as a godly man, and he was. But he still made the wrong decision. Why? Because his heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. David, another one. David was a great man of God. The Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. And what did David do when he acted on impulse, acted according to desire? He looked at Bathsheba. He took Bathsheba. He sinned with her. He then murdered her husband. It led him into all sorts of sin. Where did it start? David acted according to his heart, didn't he? He acted according to his impulses, his desires. He didn't seek the Lord. Beloved, any time we act according to impulse, it's going to end in problems. We have to lay it before the Lord and let the Lord make the decision. Now, we're not saying here that we need to cast lots to determine God's will. Far from it. But we do need to lay it before the Lord and let him choose. You see, we have the Holy Spirit within. The Holy Spirit is there to show us which way the Lord would have us to go. But we have to, first of all, take it before him. Lay it before him and let the Lord make the decision. Let him lead us through the Spirit. God, as the psalm says, be his desire upon our heart and it be his desire, not our desire. That psalm is a wonderful psalm, but let's interpret it right. Delight ourselves in the Lord and he will give us desires of our heart. Why? Because our desires will be his desires. They will match his desires. Now this morning we've seen the steps that led the disciples to choosing Matthias as Judas's replacement. You know, these steps meant that they were in a place where the Lord could truly guide them. These steps led them to this position where God could truly lead them and guide them and show them his will. And dear beloved, if you and I follow these same steps when it comes to determining God's will, we will find that our decisions likewise are guided by the Lord. Guided by him. 
Is he like the disciples? We need to make sure we're walking in obedience. That we're in fellowship with God's people. That we're in the word. That we are exercising spiritual discernments. Seeking the Lord in prayer. And relying upon him for direction. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for passages like this, which give us great principles, Lord, to follow when determining your will for our lives. And Lord, I pray that you help us all, Lord, to take these truths away and understand, Lord, that indeed we must act upon impulse. Not act according to our own desires, but rather seek you, seek your desire, Lord. Seek your will for our lives. And Lord, I pray you would help us to remember these things, remember these truths. May you bless as we go from this place in Jesus' name.